0: From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren,
1: And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. A busy show as usual. Let's get to it. Our panel just ahead, Joel Skousen, publisher of World Affairs Brief, and Morgan Reynolds of NoMoreGames.net are standing by to talk about U.S. President's uh, apparent backflip on immigration, a deal with... The democratic leadership that it would appear to be a total capitulation, amnesty for dreamers, uh, one that would not be tied to funding for a southern border wall. We'll get to that. Then we'll ponder an intriguing question. Are we living in a computer simulation? The Matrix, author Tim Beckley, who is an authority on UFOs and the paranormal going back to the 1960s, also an authority on uh, the great science fiction writer Philip K. Dick, who was one of the first to posit this idea of a computer simulation. This was later picked up by uh, philosophers like Nick Bostrom and uh, even Elon Musk. Uh, we'll find out um, how likely is that, and is there any way to detect it, if, it's, if it is a possibility. Of course, we'll have our weekly remote viewing experiment, what's in the box, and we'll do the big reveal just after the bottom of the hour. Towards the tail end of the hour, 2017 marks the 100th anniversary of a very special military installation, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. That's right, a 100 years ago it was founded. Perhaps best known as the location where the Roswell UFO crash debris and perhaps alien bodies were taken. Author-researcher Don Schmidt will be here to talk about that. And uh, in the second hour... Open Lines, of course. Your first opportunity, I guess it's been uh, a few weeks now. You'll uh, be able to weigh in with your thoughts and comments on all things conspiratorial and paranormal. Then, author Don Jeffries returns to the program, the author of Hidden History, and of course his new one, Survival of the Richest. We'll talk to him about um, wide array of uh, subjects, and that's again towards the tail end of the program. Now, just ahead of tonight's panel, it's time for our weekly remote viewing experiment. Here are your coordinates. All right, remote viewers, direct your attention to the cigar box resting on the desk to my left here. Allow the size, the shape, color, and texture of the object to form in your mind, and you can tweet your answers to me, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, make sure to follow And you must use the hashtag TCS remote. And for the remote viewer or remote viewers who correctly identify what's in the box, some fabulous conspiracy merchandise will go your way. If you're a fan of the show, why not show it off and help support our work here at the same time by visiting the online merch store at theconspiracyshow.com. Theconspiracyshow.com. We have mugs, t-shirts, hoodies phone cases and more. Again, that's the online merch store at theconspiracyshow.com. Remember, you must tweet your answers to me at Richard Sarrett and use the hashtag TCS Remote. Good luck. Last week, President Trump's supporters were aghast when the uh, President huddled at the White House with Democratic Senator Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and Democratic Minority House Leader Nancy Pelosi and appeared to strike a deal or some sort of a general agreement on extending The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, that's called DACA, uh, American immigration policy uh, reform that would allow some individuals who entered the country illegally as minors to receive a renewable two-year period of deferred action from deportation and to be eligible to work for a permit. That would extend amnesty to the so-called DREAMers, the children of illegal immigrants, many of whom are now in their 30s. This deal, according to Pelosi and, and Schumer, is not tied to any funding for the southern border wall. Of course, that was the, the linchpin of Trump's presidential campaign. Here to discuss is Morgan Reynolds, a Professor Emeritus at Texas A&M University, former director of the Criminal Justice Center at the National Center for Policy Analysis, headquartered in Dallas, Texas. And, of course, he is the founder of a terrific website. You can read all of his postings at nomoregames.net. Morgan Reynolds, welcome.
2: Hey, thank you, Richard. Good to be with you again.
1: Likewise, my friend. Joel Skousen is the publisher and editor of The World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service, a political scientist by training and speaks multiple foreign languages, which he uses in assessing information here and abroad. And, of course, the website is worldaffairsbrief.com. Joel, thank you. How do people subscribe to your newsletter?
0: Well, they can uh, go to the World Affairs Brief website and press on the big red button, but they, before they do so, I encourage them to email me at editor at com for a free sample issue.
1: All right. To you first, Morgan, is what we're hearing true? Is this a total capitulation from President Trump? in terms of immigration. He's not calling it amnesty. He's insisting these people will have to pay back taxes. But he's no longer talking about, you know, deporting 11 million people. And some are suggesting that he's willing to make a deal with the Democrats. It's not tied to getting a commitment for funding for the wall. Your thoughts?
2: Yeah, lots of supporters of Trump who are in the media have called it a massive collapse, a betrayal of his base of uh, of the first magnitude. But I can't quite agree with that yet. It's certainly a way weaker position that he's talking about than his campaign speech in Arizona at the end of August 2016, which sounds like it was written by Steve Bannon. There will be no amnesty. Our message to the world will be this. You cannot obtain legal status or become a citizen of the United States by illegally entering our country and so on and so forth. And of course he had the 10 point plan which included blocking all funding for sanctuary cities. The, the number one was, uh, of course, the wall. And now it uh, seems that's uh, on unsteady on, on ground as well. However, uh, this thing is, is going to play out over the next uh, six months at least. And uh, he got his um, attorney general, Jeff Sessions, to uh, send a rescind the executive order from Obama uh, that created DACA to uh, wind it down over the next six months. So uh, it, it's in play, it's uh, up in the air, it's a messy political and legal situation. Now the reason, one more point, Jeff Sessions came out on September 5 because the Texas Attorney General said, we're gonna go ahead with this suit to get rid of DACA and they already uh, got the uh, courts to get rid of the DAPA for par- parental thing. So, uh, they were under a deadline and Jeff Sessions met that deadline. So the, the Texas attorney and he's uh, allied with 25 other states, uh, backed off. And I, I think he should have just plowed on, filed these suits. And you know, you've got Neil Gorsuch as the fifth vote that would be supportive to overturn this whole thing. Meanwhile, California's filed suit to keep DACA
1: joel skousen is this a capitulation or is this more trump maneuvering and deal making
2: no i think it is a complete
0: capitulation not in terms of political maneuvers it was a real disaster to set it off for 6 months and then you allow the media to lobby congress with every sob story of victimhood and uh, how special these people are till it becomes almost politically impossible for the re- most Republicans, except for the Liberty Caucus, you know, to vote against the problem. And they're already preparing legislation, which includes giving the parents or bringing them in uh, to legal status as well. So it's not just the uh, 800,000 DACA, but also the parents are going to get in on this legislation. What they're aiming for, of course, is complete immigration reform and a package that will provide a path to citizenship for not only uh, these people, but their parents and many other illegals as well. Now, look, this was an illegal executive order. You cannot change law with an executive order. Obama did so, and the courts agreed this is illegal. Trump should have stood up and declared it illegal and rescinded it immediately. But by postponing for six months, then he gives this terrible pressure on Congress. And, uh, you know, you have all the Democrats are going to vote to make it legal through legislation, and then all of the liberal Republicans are going to join in on board. And so I think it is a sellout. Worse yet, though, he calls up Nancy Pelosi after this meeting. And by the way, you postpone the debt limit now and the supposed wall till December 23rd, and nobody's going to effectively shut down, do a partial, correct shutdown of government, and that's the way to do it, is a partial one where you don't inconvenience people, but you shut down the unnecessary, unconstitutional parts of government, but not the parts that you know, are important to people. But you're not going to do that on December 23rd.
1: No, it won't happen then. Morgan, will his base... They've been willing to forgive just about anything, but this one seems to be core, certainly to his campaign, and kind of a non-negotiable with many of his supporters. Will his base forgive him this one, if it is a capitulation?
2: Yeah, it's surprising how uh, patient they've been. I abandoned Trump after his uh, reinforcement of our military effort in uh, Afghanistan, but I agree with Joel here that it's not smart politically, but they don't have the reputation of being the stupid party for nothing. The Democrats, their bottom line, of course, is the more immigrants uh, that are 70%, 80%, bigger government and pro-Democrat, the better for us. And the Republicans are always intimidated morally, it seems. They're just not confident in that. Trump seems so emotional, uh, in terms of changing positions, you know, okay, we got miniskirts in Afghanistan that supposedly swung them. You've got, you know, all kinds of absurd, oh, it's about the children. Well, I can't be seen to be anti-child, so it's just so easy to beat up the Republicans. That's why we've got a $20 trillion debt disaster everywhere. It's
1: exactly. just going down. Joel, uh, will his base forgive him this one?
2: Well, they don't have any other
0: place to go. But he's not going to get reelected if he lasts that long. I can guarantee you that. His base is down to 35%. At best, it's going to be a pretty solid wall because there's no place to go, but you can't get reelected with 35%.
1: Morgan Reynolds, uh, No More Games.net, and Joel Scousen, World Affairs Brief. Once again, how do we subscribe?
0: People can go to worldaffairsbrief.com and click on the red subscribe button or get a free sample issue by emailing me at editor at affairsbrief.com. This week's issue is a major update on the 9-11 investigation.
1: Terrific job. All right, Morgan, Joel, thank you both.
0: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Tim Beckley, an authority on the great sci-fi author Philip K. Dick, is standing by to discuss synchronicity and living in a computer-simulated reality. Stay with us.
0: Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarratt. Welcome
1: back. Our big reveal for our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box, coming up after the uh, bottom of the hour, along with a mailbag and uh, Don Schmidt, author of the real Area 51, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, that uh, military installation celebrating its 100th anniversary. And we'll take a peek inside Hangar 18 with uh, Don Schmidt towards the uh, end of the hour. Open lines, of course, next hour. And John Jeffries will be here with us later in the program. Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All. Oh, and look look at that, Forward by Richard Serrett. There you go. Uh, Don is also the author of Hidden History. So much to discuss with him. All right. From philosopher Nick Bostrom to tech giants like Elon Musk, many have suggested that life as we know it might just be a sophisticated computer simulation. The hypothesis continues to grow in popularity, but it was perhaps science fiction writer the late Philip K. Dick who first popularized the idea that we are living in the Matrix. Here to discuss is Tim Beckley, a pioneer of the UFO paranormal, going back to the mid-1960s when he founded a well-received organization, the Interplanetary News Service. He's publisher of nearly 300 books, of which he has authored 40 or so and he was editor for 11 years of UFO Universe. He's co-host of Exploring the Bazaar and CEO of the YouTube channel Mr. UFO's Secret Files. He is the author of, as I say, over 40 books, including his latest, The Matrix Control System of Philip K. Dick and the Paranormal Synchronicities. Tim Beckley, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
3: Well, you know, I've been doing this for so long, I've turned into one of them. <laughs> I, I swear. it's uh, It's been a long time. It's been a long road, you know, 50 years now I've been, uh, uh, involved in this. I got started back, um, uh, when I had my first sighting around 1957. And, uh, I started c- collecting, um, old reports from people in my area in New Jersey and writing letters to the uh, editor of the local newspapers to trying to get all the information that I, that I could. And, uh, somehow it just kind of sprung into a, uh, um, a career for me. I must say that I'm probably uh, one of the few that have actually uh, stayed in the field for uh, this long. And uh,
1: you certainly uh, are. You're you're a true pioneer, Tim. You're right up there, you know, in terms of longevity with uh, the great Stanton Friedman. And uh, uh, you know, you've you've just been hammering away at this for well, in your into your sixth decade. I do want to ask you. About Philip K. Dick. Some people, a lot of people, may not be that familiar with this late great American science fiction writer. Just give us a bit of a a thumbnail sketch of who Philip K. Dick was, and then I want to talk about his hypothesis that we're living in a computer simulation.
3: Well, you know, he was a uh, 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 a popular uh, science fiction uh, uh, writer, but more so after he uh, passed away. Uh, he's been deceased now I think for about 25 or 30 uh, years
1: yeah he died and, young uh, he was only 53 yeah
3: uh, indeed and uh, of, of course I guess he's probably best known for some of the movies that were uh, made based upon his uh, literary works which would include uh, Blade Runner and uh, Total uh, Recall and the um, Advantage Bureau so uh, he's he's Better known, I would think, for the movies that have been made around his concepts than anything else. But he lived, for a science fiction writer, he lived a very bizarre uh, uh, life. I mean, I don't know how you, how familiar you are with the science fiction uh, field, but there seems to be a general lack of interest among uh, fandom in anything that can be uh, considered uh, paranormal, whether it's UFOs or ghosts or uh, even the conspiracies. They... They have been uh, indoctrinated by their hierarchy, uh, people like Isaac Asimov and uh, uh, Ray Bradbury and Arthur C. Clarke, to believe that uh, this is all bunk. But Philip K. Dick, Dick didn't believe it was bunk because he had uh, any number of uh, personal uh, experiences in his own life.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about that, because a lot of this steam, seems to have stemmed from a rather mystical experience he had after some dental surgery in the early 1970s, and he went on to sort of chronicle this um, in, yeah, a, in, a, in a journal.
3: He, he made a statement, and I'll, I'll read this uh, from the back of uh, the, um, the, um, the book, uh, actually. And... Um, uh, he said and he made this statement at a science fiction convention in france in nineteen seventy seven he said people claim to remember past lives i claim to remember a different very different present life i know of nobody who has ever made this claim before but i rather suspect that my experience is not unique what perhaps is unique is my willingness to talk about it we are living in a computer programmed reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some uh, alteration uh, in our reality uh, occurs. And uh, you know, at it, it first you would uh, well, you have to see the reaction of the people in the uh, the uh, the audience. The uh,
1: slackjawed, I'm sure, <laughs> slack Science
3: fiction writers in, in the fandom. Uh, there's a, a clip on the YouTube where he's making this statement, and people in the audience are just looking totally befuddled. And, and, and totally bewildered like this guy is completely out of his uh, mind. And, of course, he he came up against this attitude uh, over the, uh, the course of the remainder of his uh, uh, career. Now, basically what he believed is that uh, history is not constant, that there could be any uh, number of realities going on at the same time, and it's possible to be living in more than one existence. In fact, he recalled uh, a life as uh, uh, back in the uh, time of uh, Jesus, and he sp- uh, learned to understand and speak the language perfectly. Uh, even though, of course, he supposedly was uh, was never there and had no training uh, or skills in, in foreign languages uh, uh, per se. But uh, over the course of the uh, years. He had any number of like synchronicities and weird things that took place in his life to uh, lead him to believe that we are actually in a computer simulation or are living in the Matrix. In fact, the movie The Matrix, even though it's not based on his book, he was the uh, any of his books. It, it was he his was the concept that uh, was adapted for this. Uh, uh, very popular uh, franchise of uh,
1: movies. Let me just remind listeners, uh, Tim Beckley is with us, uh, the author of The Matrix Control System of Philip K. Dick and the Paranormal Synchronicities. But when he talked, uh, Tim, when when Philip K. Dick talked about uh, living multiple, having memories of multiple present realities, not past lives, but multiple present realities, to me that speaks of parallel universes, not necessarily a computer simulation. Explain what on the surface seems like a, almost a contradiction.
2: Well,
3: you, you know, uh, this, everybody that's had these uh, synchronicities, and I've had about 50 or 60 of them that I relate in the, uh, in the book, has, has kind of a different uh, concept. This is nothing, obviously, that you can uh, uh, really uh, pin down, uh, even though those in the uh, scientific and uh, physics community are starting to come to grasp uh, with this uh, issue. Uh, some of the popular researchers who have uh, noted uh, the uh, uh, the weirdness in all of this and the strangeness involving this would be of course Charles Fort. Now, uh, Charles Fort, of course, wrote the uh, very uh, four very popular books, and he is considered the uh, granddaddy of the uh, paranormal and the uh, supernatural. And he believed, Richard, that uh, we were being controlled; that humans were. Part of the, some galactic chess program, and somebody out there uh, was moving the uh, the chess uh, pieces. Of course, John Keel uh, spoke about this uh, as a, a form of kind of a, a, a spectrum.
4: Sure, the Even author he, of the Mothman uh, Prophecies,
3: in his book, in his book uh, The Eight Tower, he talks about these towers being having been implanted uh, in the earth, uh, you know, millennia uh, millennia uh, ago. And even that Jacques Vallée, who was recently in New York here to give a, a presentation for the uh, Philip K. Dick Film Festival, spoke about some of the synchronicities and, and weird things that have uh, been happening to them. And it, it, it ties in with UFOs, it ties in with the life uh, after uh, death. I mean, I've had a lot of the things that have just been so strange that you cannot find an explanation for them. I mean, uh, you know, people say, oh... I thought of somebody and they called on the telephone the next day, or I woke up and it said 444 on the clock. I wouldn't even include that. Uh, but let me tell you one a story. I'll yes, have to please. Make it quick, because obviously we don't have that much time. Um, back in the 1970s, I was uh, invited to speak to a UFO group in San Francisco. I had never been to San Francisco uh, before. I knew the people that were organizing the event simply through correspondence. Uh, my talk was on a, a Saturday at night, and I was due to leave, oh, I think at a uh, rather late flight, maybe 4 or 5 o'clock on Sunday. So we had some time to kill, and we decided to have uh, brunch. And so we picked a, a, a restaurant at random. None of us had ever been in there before. I repeat, I had not been in San Francisco either. Uh, during the course of our chit-chat, I happened to mention that there was at least one gentleman I should have called on the uh, telephone because he used to... Uh, a lecture for our group, the New York School of Occult Arts and Sciences. He was a very well-known medium and psychic and writer by the name of Alan Vaughn. In fact, he edited for a, a number of years a very swift magazine called Psychic. This was sure. in the days of publishing, uh, you know, Empire, when publishing and magazines were still going big. Well, do you know that five minutes later, Alan Vaughn came walking through the, the front door of this restaurant Hmm. He had never rest- been in the restaurant uh, before either. Here's here's a town, uh, a, a city of almost a million people. What are your chances of running into somebody that you're discussing? I mean, we're not even talking to say, hey, you know, you run into somebody on in the street that you knew. That's happened to me many times. But you're, uh, we were just discussing this uh, this uh, individual, and he pops through the door, walking his uh, door, walking his dog. So he sits down. We have a little laugh over this, and I said, "Alan, by the way, what are you working on these uh, days?" Because he was uh, uh, was putting out a number of paperbacks in those days. And he said, "Well, you know, I'm working on a book on synchronicities and coincidence. <laughs> so I guess I'll have to include this." <laughs> and, and indeed, it, it is in, uh, included in the uh, in the book.
1: Well, well so, aside from synchronicities, uh, and, and that's sort of a universal thing for those that are paying attention. You, you know, you can start to chronicle the well, synchronicities.
3: You know, people, people Say that, but I disagree with it. I mean, people have told me, "Oh, you've got to be on the lookout for it." No, these are so strange and so weird, you don't have to be on the
1: lookout. No, no. What it. I'm saying is, some yeah. people they just they happen and they're blind to them, but they're staring us in the face. But I'm saying that the synchronicities are they do occur. They're happening to all of us, but some people just they they're, they're not paying attention, is what I'm saying. But yes, my yes. but is do you believe that there are other ways that we will be able someday, whether it's quantum computing or something, to be able to to detect? Either parallel universe or simulated reality.
3: Well, you know, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm not a uh, a physicist or an, a, a, or a, a, a scientist. I, I leave that to other people to uh, to comprehend or to kind of map this uh, out. All I know is that I, c- I can uh, uh, study the case the histories, and and some of them were by some very remarkable uh, people. Uh, there was a uh, an individual by the name of uh, Dr. John C. Uh, uh, Lilly. Uh, who had many different degrees in fact he was the inventor of the flotation uh, tank, if you remember that's right in the, in the 70s it was very popular
1: there was well, a book called had, Altered he States believed... that was based on on his work yeah, I
3: believe yes I believe it was right and he had he had a uh, on series uh, a continuing on series uh, of uh, uh, synchronicities with some what he believed was a group of, of individuals or, or or members of some higher, uh, he called it the Synchronicity Review Board, and he thought that they were controlling uh, what was going on here on the, uh, the Earth, maybe controlling people's destiny uh, even. Well, I don't know if I'd call that for There There are several uh, theories that we can look at and say, well, who is behind this? Well, perhaps a, a, a giant computer was created back in, uh, during the time of creation. I mean, maybe this is the whole explanation for uh, the creation uh, myth. Uh, and, uh, it could have been uh, that, uh, whoever, uh, constructed this, uh, uh matrix, uh, left uh, back in ancient times. Perhaps they come and uh, revisit it, uh, from uh, time to time. But maybe they have this, uh, uh, syn- these synchronicities kind of on automatic pilot. Because you never know when they're going to occur. And, you know, they're not necessarily, uh, they're very random. Some of them are positive. Some of them are can be considered negative, and some of them have absolutely no meaning whatsoever. It it, it almost seems I guess you're familiar with kind of the, uh, the trickster uh, element. Uh, Chris O'Brien, of course, has written uh, right uh, about that in relation to the animal mutilations and and so forth. So it it, it really is a mystery. I mean, uh, I think we're just getting to the point where uh, the idea of multiple uh, universes and uh, dimensions are being considered, where they were not. Uh, even thought of before.
1: Tim, final question. Do you believe that the, the, the computer simulation hypothesis explains most, if not all, paranormal activity?
3: Oh, that's a giant leap. But it, it does it does tie in with the uh, uh, life after death. In fact, um, Phyllis K. Ditch had a number of very unusual experiences with um, the late Bishop uh, uh, Pike, whose son had uh, uh, committed suicide in a room that I slept in without even knowing about it. And oh, I can, dear. I, I could go on for hours just dis- uh, dis- discussing this. And we, and
1: we Listen, i tell stuff. you what we'll do, Tim. Uh, yeah. in, in, a, in a few months, we will uh, circle back, get a hold of you, and we will book an hour just to talk about this okay. more in depth.
3: All right. I think I can exp- uh, I, I can explain. Maybe perhaps it isn't the uh, right word. But well, in the meantime, this, this was a nice... We are responsible for the technology of today.
1: This was a nice primer for next time, Tim. Thank you for this. You're welcome. Tim Beckley, the Matrix Control System of Philip K. Dick and the Paranormal Synchronicities. Albert, my fine producer, we will get Tim back on and we'll schedule an hour. The Big Reveal, what's in the box next, and Mailbag coming up. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away.
0: This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett.
1: Welcome back. Coming up in the uh, next seg- segment, after the next break, Don Schmidt, Roswell Investigator and uh, author of Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which is uh, celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. That's Don Schmidt, Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of wright Pat. Uh, open lines at the top of the hour. And then uh, Don Jeffries, author of The Hidden History and uh, Survival of the Richest, will join us. Right now, it is time for the big reveal, our weekly remote viewing experiment. And uh, let's go to, no, let's go around the horn here first. And uh, Ian Robertson, my fine rockabilly friend, using your remote viewing skills, what's in the box? Uh, I'm seeing something round and orange. Round and orange. A pumpkin. A pumpkin. A huge pumpkin. <laughs> an enormous pumpkin in a and small s- cigar box. <laughs> <laughs> you mock, sir. You mock. No, you, do you want to guess an orange? Oh. Round and orange. Yeah. An orange. Extend to reason. All right. A piece of fruit. An orange. Oh. All right. Let's go to uh, Albert Venzel, my remote viewing friend. Uh, All I get a a handful of change. I I was going to say round and orange, but uh, Ian (laughs) Ian beat me to it. Yeah, round and orange, like a loony. Or a handful of change. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And uh, Ryan White, my feature producer.
5: No, I was going to say something round and red, similar to orange. I had a vision as I came over of like a, a clown's nose. Hmm. You know, big red nose, and I came into the studio here, and on this newspaper, the Sunday Star, uh, it says the world needs more red noses. I see that. So I thought that was quite a sign, and wow. very similar to what Ian said.
1: You hadn't seen the tr- the, the 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 Sunday Star no. before today. You nope. came into the studio, and there, that's right, right, just above the masthead, uh, is the little uh, story. the the uh, The world needs more red noses, and there is a person wearing a clown's nose. Mm-hmm. Very interesting.
5: All right, definitely.
1: So you're going to guess a clown's nose.
5: Yeah, I mean, I mean, that, at least that's in the, the same location as the box. That's true. So really? close. And the, some similar-ish guesses uh, as well coming from Twitter. Let, all right, let's go to Twitter. Uh, Daniel sees a green green marker or pen. Uh, YY sees a ball, blue, white, and green. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane sees a golf ball. Phil sees an egg. Uh, My info sees one stick of fettuccine. Uh, <laughs> James sees a nutcracker. Durko an uninflated balloon. John sees your favorite movie on VHS, and Ed sees a chapstick.
1: Interesting. They're all interesting, but none of them are close, I'm afraid. It's a slipper, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, it's the mighty Aphrodite slipper, and she's walking around the house right now looking for it and cursing. (laughs) There you go. A fuzzy slipper with uh, some nice little pom-pom tassels on the side, and it would be her right slipper. So she's hopping around on her left foot as we speak, the mighty Aphrodite. All right. Uh, thank you all for playing along. And uh, let's see. Oh, it's uh, time for our mailbag se- segment. Albert, what's uh, what's happening with mailbag? It, it just to show you how far I reach this show has, we got an email all the way from Poland. And the person's name is Miroslav, and he says, I am very interested in water engines. Can you please write me back how they work and where I can buy a set? All right. Well, uh, I guess a lot of the the excitement over the idea of running a an engine, an internal combustion engine, using only water as fuel, began with Stanley Myers, who posted a number of... Uh, well, after his death, these were posted to YouTube, but they were sort of home movies. He had outfitted his uh, dune buggy uh, with some sort of a, a, a device that... The claim was he was able to drive virtually across North America or across the United States on, with his doom buggy using water. Uh, now, and then of course Stanley Myers was supposedly uh, approached by some people in big oil and they wanted to buy this technology. This is sort of the legend and the lore. They wanted to buy this technology, put it on the shelf, um, so that the public couldn't have it, understandably so. This is obviously very disruptive if you can use o- water to run a, an internal combustion engine. And uh, then he was, uh, so the story goes, uh, poisoned after a luncheon meeting. Um, now, since his death, there have been a number of uh, individuals, and you can find them uh, online. There are, there, are, there are a lot of uh, individuals and companies, and I'm not attesting to the veracity of these particular stories, but there are... Companies selling what what are called hydrogen kits, and and I do believe that it's possible to disassociate the oxygen and the the oxygen molecules and the hydrogen molecules that are found in water, and ignite the hydrogen, because hydrogen um, you know is is uh, can be kind of an incendiary device. So you know we can we we know about hydrogen fuel, but what's happening is you're, the hydrogen um, when you you can also achieve this through electrolysis uh and so you have kind of a bubbler in in uh, you have a you know a, a water reservoir and a bubbler and you have your electrodes in there with a, some sort of a silver plate you separate the oxygen uh and the uh, the hydrogen molecules and then the hydrogen is pumped into the intake valve on your carburetor and is ignited you're not burning the hydrogen per se i don't believe you're you're igniting the hydrogen which then ignites the unburned fumes from your gasoline uh, because the thermal efficiency in an internal combustion engine, I mean it's abysmal. Even, you know, uh, in 2017 I think it's around 25 percent, maybe 30 percent thermal efficiency. In other words, most of the gas is unburned, it's wasted in emissions, it's wasted in heat from your engine. Very inefficient, but if you can ignite the hydrogen and then use that to ignite the, un, uh, the unburned fuel, you can dramatically Increase the thermal efficiency maybe by another 20 or 30 percent. That's significant. Saves wear and tear on the engine, fewer oil changes, much better gas mileage, the car burns cleaner. So there are a number of these so-called hydrogen kits. Some are called water smackers and HHO complete kits and so forth. Just go online. Is it Miroslav? Go online. There's a lot of them and, and you'll have to do some research because uh, you know you'll have to decide whether these companies are on the up and up But there are a lot of people have open-sourced this material, and you can build your own kit. Uh, Good luck with that. Let me know how you make out. All right, when we come back, open... uh, No, Don Schmidt, the 100th anniversary of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, when The Conspiracy Show returns. Stay with us.
0: Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416 360-0740 or toll free at one 740 4740
1: Welcome back. Yes, yeah, so those numbers will come in handy uh, after the top of the hour and we will um, proceed with our open lines until the bottom of the next hour and then Don Jeffries author of Survival of the Richest and also the Hidden History uh, will um, will join us for the last half hour of the program. Uh, right now, uh, 2017 marks the 100th anniversary of Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Of course, it wasn't called Wright Patterson Air Force Base back then, uh, but it does have a very mysterious uh, lineage. And uh, of course, we're all familiar with the nefarious Hangar 18 and stories of um, uh, alien bodies perhaps being stored there, the, the wreckage uh, from the uh, Roswell UFO crashes perhaps taken there as well. All of this has been documented in a uh, wonderful book called Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson. And that is uh, by Don Schmidt, former co-editor of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, where he served as Director of Special Investigations for 10 years. Prior to that, he was a special investigator for the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek for the International UFO Reporter. And he is the author of several books about the Roswell UFO incident, and as I say, the in uh, the uh, inside the real Area 51, the secret history of Wright Patterson. Don Schmidt, thanks for joining us. How are you, my friend?
4: Hey, Richard, good to be with you again.
1: So we're harkening back to a book you wrote a couple of years ago, but here we are, here we are, the 100th anniversary. Now the Wright Patterson, obviously back in 1917, had a different name. I guess yes. they changed it to to the to Wright after the Wright brothers, who died about that around that time, 1918, I think, in a crash. Yes,
4: actually, you're correct. Um,
1: so, just give us kind of a thumbnail sketch of wh- when did Wright Patterson uh, perhaps become so notorious? Become the uh, um, you know the place where they were taking a lot of this UFO debris and perhaps back engineering and and taking alien bodies and so forth.
4: Well, I'm amazed even to this day that so many people automatically associate Area 51, Groom Lake, with UFOs and even Roswell back in 1947, and yet. Uh, 51 didn't even come into existence until the mid-50s, so some years you know, thereafter. But, but right Field, if, if we accept that the Pentagon is the brain of the military, then all the other facilities, all the other bases would be the arms and the legs. But right Field, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base would be the heart. It's where it not only is it one of the most complex facilities, but you had Air Material Command, you had, uh, as far as the United States Air Force Medical Center Hospital, you had the Institute of Technology. Uh, you even have their famous National Museum of the Air Force. But most importantly, they had the foreign technology
1: division.
4: Yes, Foreign. Yes. And back then it was called T3. And if they had acquired, recovered any armory, any technology, any weaponry from any foreign uh, power... It would go to Wright Field. It would go to Wright Patterson for breakdown and analysis. So that was always the the the, the one you know the, the highest uh, curious aspect of Roswell. That if this was merely a balloon or something just as conventional, why did it still go on to Wright Field in Dayton, Ohio, for testing? Now, according to all the press accounts at the time of the actual flying saucer announcement. Keeping in mind that on Tuesday, July 8th, the United States Army Air Corps at Roswell put out that official press release where they claimed they had actually captured a flying saucer. And then even in that very press release, it stated that it was going on to higher headquarters. Well, all the press accounts at that point stated that it was going on to right field for testing and analysis. Well, going up the chain of command, and the Roswell Base commander, Colonel William Blanchard, his boss was Brigadier General Roger Ramey of the 8th Air Force at Fort Worth, Texas, and that's where they had the infamous weather balloon uh, press conference. Right. They actually right. switched the balloon for the actual material. Well, Ramey would announce he was canceling the resumption of the flight. You know, it's just a balloon. No need to have a tested, you know, end of story. Well, the FBI Bureau in Dallas at 617 that evening, and I know that because we have a copy of the very telex, they refuted that claim. They stated that based on their phone conversations with Wright Field, the balloon was not true, was not correct. So then... As we describe throughout our book on Wright-Patterson, we have the people on the receiving end, such as General Arthur Exxon and Colonel Robert Friend, and then the multitude of witnesses through the years who have described not only the wreckage arriving at foreign technology, T3, but also the remains, the bodies. And we go through all of those accounts. And now you mentioned the, the, the famous... Uh, Hangar 18, well, there was no Hangar 18, there still isn't. Uh There is a Building 18, often referred to as the Pink Building, but it was connected by a tunnel, by a vault, to Hangar 23. So from all of our witnesses from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, it was actually Hangar 23, that the remains from Roswell. Uh-huh. Taken, and then through that underground vault, taken to Building 18. And from there, Foreign Technology, just down from there. And 80, uh, 23 has long been sealed shut. it had been a concrete, a new concrete slab floor, so it has been sealed uh, forever, as far as any connection, to Building 18. But uh, it's just interesting that uh, the building came, became Hangar 18, yes, and it became part of that urban myth.
1: So right, a little true. misdirection
4: there. A little misdirection, correct. What's interesting, too, Richard, is that you can take a tour at times uh, at Wright-Path, and as they pass through that area, they'll point to those hangars and say, and this is where we keep the pickled aliens, or we <laughs> keep the <laughs> aliens on ice. So they have fun with it
1: as well. Inside the Real Area 51, the secret history of Wright-Patterson. Don Schmidt is uh, with us. And there is that story, it may be apocryphal, that came from Jackie Gleason's wife. I don't know that Jackie Gleason ever spoke about it publicly, that his golfing buddy, President Richard Nixon, took him to see alien bodies on ice. Now, um, he lived in Florida, yeah, um, Jackie Gleason lived in Florida, but were those, were those alien bodies at Wright Pat or were they? No, no,
4: no, no. It was at a it was at a facility in Florida, not ah. far from Fort Lauderdale. In fact, we had uh, actually talked to a number of witnesses who described uh, some of the wreckage being taken to Florida for some of the initial testing. What's 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 especially interesting about Gleason is that when he died. It was it was discovered that he had over 700 UFO books.
1: Yes, he was a, he was crazy about it.
4: And he yes, and what sparked that interest way beyond just a hobby? And he would become an associate with Dr. Hynek at the Center for UFO Studies. And uh, I'll never forget uh, Gleason was a, a big friend to a, a drummer Buddy Rich. Oh, that's right, yes. And on one occasion, Buddy Rich and Johnny Carson were doing the David Susskind show mm-hmm. in Chicago, and Carson off camera would ask him, "Now, why are you all, why are you in Chicago?" And Carson would remark, "Well, or, or, or uh, Rich would i I'm, 'I'm here to also visit with my good friend Alan Hynek.'" And Carson immediately re- responded, "That's one man who will never be on the Tonight Show." Ah, uh-huh.
1: interesting.
4: Which, as it turns out, you know, was the case. But you see how these are all connected, so, and so that's why I, I, I accept that there may indeed be some credence to the uh, the, uh, the Jackie Gleason story, and for the fact that his good friend Buddy Rich was also very much interested in the subject.
1: Right. So, is Wright Patterson Air Force Base, in your estimation, um, still sort of where the back engineering is going on, or have they moved that uh, but, uh, around?
4: From all accounts, and it uh, was a retired colonel at Wright Pat who said that, Don, you have to realize we're in the heart of a city here. And so it became more and more difficult when you consider like 51 and Nellis Air Force Base and even like Hughes Aircraft and the Mecca t- test site, especially down in the southwest and White Sands and Holloman and Alamogordo, New Mexico. They're all, you know, shielded by mountain ranges and out in the open desert ranges. So, they're they're well protected as far as from uh, pr- prying eyes, whereas Wright Pad, as I mentioned, is in the heart of Dayton. And uh, according to him, and then as others have now talked to us, it was the early 80s. That's when we've been told that generally everything related to UFOs was shipped out.
1: Ah. So where then now is the next hotspot, perhaps the next, the next subject of your next, your next book? Where is the new you know, Building 18? Where is the new Wright-Patterson Air Force Base?
4: Uh, Colonel uh, George Weinbrenner was head of FTD, post-Project Blue Book, in the early 70s. And that's when Hynek was still associated with a project where his, his job title was Consultant on Controversial Aerial Phenomenon. Well, what else would that be? Mm-hmm. And when we tracked down Weinbrenner to verify that, you know, he just uh, played, you know, ignorant that um, he actually, actually behaved as though he had never heard of Heineck. He <laughs> <that> was <laughs> trying too hard when he was Heineck's boss. Well, um, when he passed away in San Antonio in the early 2000s, he had left word for his good friend Robert Emenegger. And Emenegger, who had written the book UFOs: Past, Present, and Future, and he was a, a famous documentary producer. In fact, he was hired in the early 70s to actually produce a documentary for the Air Force on UFOs. And who would he meet with? But George Weinbrenner at Foreign Technology. And while he sat in his office, and he was already, you know, asking specific questions about the subject. Weinbrenner started going into you know the flight characteristics and specifications of a MiG fighter and things, and behaving as though he was they were being listened to, as though he didn't want to respond to it. Well, hmm. anyway, he said, "Here's a book. I think uh, this will tell you, you know, all the answers." And it was Heinick's book, UFO Best Evidence, signed to my good friend George uh-huh. J. Allen Heinick.
1: There you go fascinating so when
4: weinbrenner died he left word for Egger we have five bodies in utah uh-huh. and that's where we're focusing now because we have additional witnesses that we that nobody knew about that also okay. fingered a specific facility in utah
1: got to run don get on that case we, we can... you
4: bet we would thanks oh. richard
1: all right don schmidt inside the real area 51 the secret history of Wright patterson don schmidt open lines when we come back join us